All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here today to talk about two iconic movies from the 80s, one of which is celebrating its 40th anniversary just a couple of months ago, the other of which is celebrating its 35th anniversary in a month or so, right around this time, and they are both cult classics. Okay, today we're going to be discussing Flash Gordon, 1980, and Highlander, 1986. We are going to have so much freaking fun talking about these movies. Okay, Jason, our executive producer for this episode is your dear friend, Mr. Dale Selby. want to give a big shout out to him. Thank you very much, Dale. He joined our Patreon page. I am sending him our prizes, which are headphones and a cool custom engraved coffee mug or, you know, whatever beverage he wants to put in there. <laughs> Dale is one of my great college buddies. Thank you so much. I He actually texts me and we talk about the episode and he follows it and gives us feedback. And I really appreciate you. Thanks, Dale. You're awesome. Okay, so with most movies that we compare, we save final judgment for the end. And in this particular scenario, we have an unfair comparison, right? There's one obvious movie that is better than the other movie in this comparison, and that movie is Highlander. Flash Gordon. Shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> Flash you, Gordon. It's Highlander. Flash Gordon is oh cle- it's clearly the winner. I love both. Uh I can't believe Uh, we decided this already. What? Okay, so Flash Gordon is like an over-budgeted high school musical. What are you talking about? We're comparing it to the movie where the leads can't even speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I guess we need to jump into the discussion now because... There can be only one. Gum, that song kicks so much butt. I mean, I don't care which movie you're picking. That is the song of all of the songs on both of these soundtracks that is the most awesome. It's awesome. It, it gets my, you know what. It gets. <laughs> it does get your, you know what. It gets my, you know what, too. It gets, it gets me going, man. <laughs> Makes that, me feel like a man. That might be my favorite Queen song of all time. Oh, wow. I mean, that is up there with the big boys you know bohemian rhapsody and i want it all and we will rock you it's up there princes of the universe freaking awesome wow well so as we mentioned before these are two cult classics they were not super popular movies they when were they first, not in the u.s when they first came out but thanks to queen and thanks to a following that developed over time for both of them they have become iconic movies that have stood the test of time yeah, I think HBO and VHS were vital to these two movies. Both of my experiences were with a video, although I think with Flash Gordon, I actually got to see that one in the theater. I saw that in the theater as well. Yeah. So I didn't see Highlander until I was in college. This is the honest truth on both of these movies. Each time I watch them, I like them a little bit better every time I watch. Yeah. They are so much fun. And I'll say this. There's a documentary that came out about four years ago called Life After Flash. It's 
largely involves Sam Jones, but it has everybody in there. Surprisingly, almost all of them are still alive, as old as that movie is. But it's a fantastic documentary that I encourage anybody to check out. Very good quality stuff. Yeah, I watched it too. And it it made me love Sam Jones even more. Yeah. I, I kind of what I a kinda, super guy. Yeah. I kind of wish that I had seen the documentary before I rewatched Flash Gordon. I think I may have enjoyed it more. But yeah, you really he he was a guy who screwed up, owned it, and has done everything he can to change his life and make it better. All right, we're gonna dive in. Let's talk about Flash Gordon first. Flash. All right, Flash Gordon was released December 5th, 1980, with a budget of $27 million, and it made about $27 million. Right. Okay, so it came, Flash Gordon was born in the 1930s. I mean, the character was created in the 1930s. The King Features Syndicate was looking for a character that it could use to compete with this new character that had come out called Buck Rogers. All right. So Buck Rogers was a space adventure. They're like, we need a space adventure of our own. They actually had an artist working for them who came up with this fantastic idea of a polo player from Yale that saved the universe. A polo player. A polo player. Because that was, you know, kind of the tough guy sport of the 30s. Yep. And so Flash Gordon was immediately successful, had the toys, had the comic strips. And then, of course, it started having serials, you know, and we had Buster Crab, who was an Olympic athlete, picturesque, godlike, you know, physique guy. He was a stud of the 30s. He absolutely was. And he played Flash Gordon in the movies and he played Flash Gordon in the serials. And then a little later on, he played Buck Rogers. Really? Also in the 30s, yeah. I mean, That's it's, cool. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. He was also in Buck Rogers of the 24th century. Buck Rogers in the 24th and a half 25th century. century. It's the 25th century, okay. right? Okay. His character's name was Commandeer Gordon. Nice. Yes. Nice. That is cool. So he's in those serials in the 30s and 40s. And then there's a guy named Steve Holland who's in a TV show about Flash Gordon in the 50s, which is a very important TV show for one reason. There's this kid in the 1950s watching TV named George who decides that he wants to grow up to be a movie director and he wants to direct a movie about Flash Gordon. Little George. Little Georgie Lucas. Little Georgie Lucas. In the meantime, unfortunately for him, uh, this guy named Dino De Laurentiis obtains the screen rights to Flash Gordon. It gets stuck in development hell. De Laurentiis has Frederick Fellini as the guy he wants to direct it. Have you seen any of Fellini's stuff? No, but I know he's revered. He's bizarre. Okay. It is. It's weird. Now, Dino had had some success with some comic adaptations. He had done Barbarella and he had done this thing called Danger Diabolic. But for some reason, Flash Gordon couldn't get off the ground. (laughs) Space adventures had kind of fallen out of favor. In the 70s, you had more. It was more like sci-fi dystopia type of stuff. Right. When he goes to get the, see if he can direct the movie from King Syndicate Features, they say, no, De Laurentiis already has it and he doesn't want you to direct. I guess I'll go direct my own space opera. Oh, this movie called 
Star Wars. It had just a smidgen of success, <laughs> just a teeny bit of success. And so suddenly Flash Gordon was moving on up out of development hell and into production. It's but, a, really, it's incredible how these movies are so intertwined. Yeah, right? I mean, and Lucas totally stole, like the scrolling credits at the beginning of Star Wars totally comes from the Flash Gordon serials. The buns in her hair comes from the Flash Gordon comic books. I mean, he he took all kinds of liberties, but, you know, shame on them for tell, turning him down when he asked to come direct it. Hey, Darth Vader and Ming the Merciless? Similar. I mean, yeah. The two biggest baddies in the universe. Yeah, all of a sudden... Everybody's making space movies, right? So at this point, Fellini has moved on. He's not in it anymore. So he taps... Nicholas Rogue. Yes, Nick Rogue is also kind of strange. Yeah, he does this movie called The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah, uh, had David Bowie in it. So he goes to he goes with the guy who wrote Enter the Dragon that had Bruce Lee in it. He goes with that guy. I don't remember what the guy's name is. They go and work on the script together, and they come up with a really good, deep, meaningful symbolism, great script. And Dino De Laurentiis says, "No, this is this is not what I want. I want a comic book, right? And this is going to cost me uh, way too much money. Yes, you're out." Let me find somebody else. And so he picks up Mike Hodges, who he had already slated to direct Flash Gordon Part 2. Really? Okay. (laughs) Well, optimism, you know? Yeah, sure. Mike Hodges did The Terminal Man, Get Carter, and Flash Gordon. Right. So Terminal Man was the only sci-fi experience that he had. Well, at this point, Dino has worked with this screenwriter named Lorenzo Semple. Yes. And we've talked about Lorenzo Semple before. Yes. He wrote Never Say Never Again. Exactly. He also wrote Three Days of the Condor, Papillon, King Kong, and was known to be the main guy who wrote the Batman series from the 60s. Yeah, the Adam West series. Yes. He's the guy who came up with Bam, Pow, Crash. Right. All that stuff. Right. And so they they went to him specifically and said, we want a comic book movie like your comic book series. He said this movie was just supposed to be fine. Okay, so stop right there. Yeah. Flash Gordon. Yeah. If you take Star Wars yes. and mash it up with Batman and 60s series, yeah, it's Flash Gordon. it gives birth to this wonderful thing we call Flash Gordon. Yes. <laughs> this colorful thing that we call this Flash Gordon. fun, awesome, goofy, this campy, fun thing we call Flash Gordon. It is perfect for kids. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, but the guy who ultimately is responsible for the way that the whole movie works is this guy called Donanello Dionardi. Yes. He had more influence over the way the thing looked than anybody else, which is a little bit of a problem because he didn't speak English, <laughs> number one. And number two, he refused to read the script. I, <laughs> he would make stuff and the director's like, what the crap is this? Yeah, pink trees. He had pink trees. Aborea was pink. And it was, and he would build these sets and it was there was so much stuff on the set that they didn't know where to set up the camera. There was no place they couldn't move around. It was just like Mike Hodges said, I think he was just out there just having fun. He didn't really care that we were making a movie. Mike Hodges needs a round of applause and a pat on the back for stealing this great movie out of the depths of this craziness. Yeah, yeah. The crew was Italian. 
Yeah. The cast was English Mostly. and American. Yep. They couldn't talk to each other. Dina no. De Laurentiis barely speaks English. Yep. Sam J. Jones had never been in a movie before. I mean, he'd been in one or two things. Yeah, he'd right? been in Blake Edwards uh ten. He was the and he'd and been he had, in Playgirl. And he had been in Hollywood Squares. <laughs> no, <laughs> the dating, the dating game. game. The dating, the dating game. game. That's what it was. The dating game. Yes. So that's we should we should go there in just a second when we start talking about the actors. But before we do that, let's talk about the beginning of Highlander. Let's. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic. So Highlander was released March 7th, 1986. This had a budget of $19 million and its box office was $13 million. This was originally titled The Dark Knight. Yes. The idea for the story was born from the imagination of the writer Gregory Wyden. Yes. Gregory, when he was about 19 years old, he went to the Tower of London and down in the basement of the Tower of London, they have like the largest armory museum in the world. Right, right. right. And so he's looking at all of these suits of armor and other war battle increment weapon things. Swords and armor and shields and... And he's like, what if there was a guy who was in a bunch of these things? Like he had worn these things throughout history. And that was the spark that led to the idea of the immortal man who has worn all of these battle uniforms throughout history. It's such a simple idea, but it's such a good hook, right? Oh, it's fantastic. It what if there was a guy hook. who didn't die yeah. and this was his armor? Right. So Gregory Wyden, he was uh, he went to UCLA to get his film degree. He had actually planned initially he had planned to be a doctor. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so while he was still uh, like just out of high school, he had gotten his paramedic certificate because he thought that's a good way to get familiar with the medical field, right? Yes. And so when he goes out to UCLA to go to film school there, he gets a job as a firefighter, which is why later on he goes on to write the script for the movie Backdraft. This guy is taking the most of his opportunities, right? Hey, I'm here at Tower of London. Boom. Script. (laughs) My part-time job fireman. Boom. Script. Yeah. He wrote and directed this series called The Prophecy. I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's any good. Yeah. Christopher Walken? Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Walken's like Gabriel, the archangel. Yeah. And he's like pissed. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So he has this grad project of writing a script. He uses the idea that he came up with from his trip to the Tower of London to write this script. And... Congratulations to his professor. I don't remember his professor's name, but he said, instead of saying things like professors say sometimes to their students, so this is crap and here's all the things wrong with it. He said, this is a really good script. As a matter of fact, this is so good. I'm going to put you in contact with this guy that I know that's an agent. We're going to see if we can option it off for you. And that's what they did. And the script got picked up. Grad student gets paid $200,000 for the script. Yeah, I mean, it was- 200 grand, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But yeah, he could have done what uh, Miss What's-Her-Face did in Christmas Story and said C+. plus. <laughs> you know? C+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he told him this is good enough to turn into an agent. Yeah, that's awesome. What a guy. And so the guys that pick up his script are called William Panzer and Peter Davis. Okay. And so they've got this script that they like a lot. They do decide they're going to make some changes to it. Okay. The original script was a good deal darker, not as funny, and didn't have a romance story to it. That's a good move. Yeah. Some other changes that it had, the immortals could have children. Right. So like McLeod had like- 37. 37 children. 
right? Why did you have 37 children? Because we didn't want to have 38. <laughs> <laughs> the Kurgan was a little different too. He had been, over time, he had been cut up and beat up and burned, and he was much more grotesque character. Yeah, and he also was a more sympathetic villain. The only thing he had was the prize. Like, the, that was the only thing he was going for. Right. He had lost everything over his centuries of living. He had lost all meaning to life except for this one thing, the prize at the end, to finish this competition. And that was what got him up out of bed every day. We got, we got Joker from The Dark Knight. We got Clancy Brown, full-on, psycho, it's better to burn out than fade away. I got to say, for Clancy Brown, I mean, he Clancy Brown wanted it to be more like the character was written. He had this idea that he was going to be in a bowler hat and like a nice suit instead of dressed like a punk rocker most right. of the time and was into this idea of there being... Uh, an intellectual motivation behind the darkness that he had, but he did Psycho real well. He did Psycho really well. It, it kind of made the movie. Absolutely. This guy's awesome. So Clancy Brown, you probably recognize him as the bad cop, Captain Hadley from The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, the unbelievable prick actually had the <laughs> audacity yeah. act magnanimous about it, right? <laughs> He was also in Starship Troopers. Okay. And he was also, I didn't know this, he's done a lot of voice work, but he was Surtur in Thor Ragnarok, the big horned villain at the beginning yeah. that fights at the end. That's yeah. Clancy Brown doing that part. He's got a great voice. Which is huge later on. I got a little secret thing that I'm going to talk about with Thor Ragnarok and Flash Gordon a little bit later on, but there's connection. There's always these connections and, and I got it coming up, okay? Awesome, awesome. So... William Panzer and Peter Davis have the script. They decide they want to make some changes to it. And then they decide, okay, now we got to get a director to direct it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they've got a list of like 20 directors to look at. And somehow somebody gives them this movie called Razorback. Razorback. Razorback, which is an Australian movie that is basically Jaws in the Outback with a giant pig as the shark. Sounds great. <laughs> sounds great. I've I, I've heard that it's one of those movies that you just think this sounds like the biggest pile of crap, but it is actually really pretty good. I want to go see it. I've I've watched the trailer and I'm like, this is actually interesting enough that I would go watch. It. I haven't seen it, but I can tell you also the interviews that I heard, they said they watched the first 10 minutes of this movie and they said, that's our guy. This guy's name was Russell McKay. Then they watched Duran Duran's Hungry Like a Wolf. And they said, that is definitely our guy. <laughs> this guy's known for music videos. Right. And some that we've talked about in the past, including Bonnie Tyler. Total Eclipse of the Heart. Total Eclipse of the Heart. But he also did the very first video that appeared on MTV by the Buggles. He's the one who directed Video Killed the Radio Star. That is awesome. Video killed the radio star. Video killed the 
installment that we've talked about that he directed yes. was from our Def Leppard episode. Okay. He directed the Pour Some Sugar On Me video. The Pour Some Sugar On Me video. No, not that one. Not that one? No, the first one. The crappy one? The horrible one. <laughs> he is the one that directed that one where they're in the old lady's house and you have the random crowd of people. I don't know. The Wrecking Ball the and rec- all that stuff. The Manly Women. I, yes. Go back. Flashback. Our Def Leppard Hysteria episode. Ooh. Go listen to us talk about that crazy crappy video yeah and then they said put that one in the trash and they made the one that we all know and love right that he did not direct that one but he did direct hungry like the wolf and that was enough to get him this job i mean hungry like the wolf was a great video oh he also did betty davis eyes he did wild boys by duran a ton of billy joel videos he was and he did some queen stuff too he did princes of the universe yeah might as well just go direct the music video myself right and let's go ahead and have freddie mercury Fights with swords, <laughs> Christopher Lambert. <laughs> Are you ready to jump into casting? Let's go into casting. All right, okay. back to Flash Gordon. Flash. There is some connective tissue between these two movies, okay, casting wise. Okay. The number one draft choice to play the lead character in Flash Gordon. Number one draft choice for the quarterback for the New York Jets. That's right. And the number one draft choice to play the Highlander in Highlander. Yes. Was Kurt Russell. Both movies. Both movies. Both movies. He was number one choice. He was the number one choice. They offered him Flash Gordon and he turned it down. Yes. They offered him Highlander. He accepted. And then Goldie Hawn said, your Scottish accent sucks. (laughs) No, I don't know what she said. She said, let's go make Overboard. Oh, is that what happened? That's what happened. She she talked him out of it. Well, you know. Goldie Hawn in 1987 had some pull. Yeah. Well, that bikini in Overboard. (laughs) Yes. Hello. Arnold Schwarzenegger almost got the part as Flash Gordon. Can I just say something real quick? Yes. Uh, On this topic. In the movie Overboard, you have the perfect connection between Fright Night and the Lost Boys because you have yes. Ed Herman who played Max in the Lost Boys on the same ship with Roddy McDowell who played Mr. Vincent Peter Vincent in Fright Night. That is incredible. I did not make that connection until just now. All right, so Kurt Russell was supposed to be Flash Gordon. Sam J. Jones got this because Dino De Laurentiis's mom was watching the dating game and there's this Guy she thought was really good looking, yeah. Sam J. Jones. Yeah. Okay, how does that conversation go? We're having trouble finding an actor to play this part. Oh, you know what? I saw a very handsome boy on the <laughs> game. You should give him a call. He's a very wholesome American boy. How does a guy who's produced multiple movies go? Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Good idea, Mom. Good idea. So listen to this. Arnold Schwarzenegger uh-huh. didn't get the part because he had an accent. Yes. So let's just wait until he's a barbarian, Mr. Dino De Laurentiis. And uh, make his accent part of the character, I guess. Yeah, so he brought him back for Conan. Right. And then off he goes. Flash Gordon has to be an all-American guy. Absolutely. Jeff Bridges and Harvey Keitel were considered for the role of Flash. See, that's fascinating because Highlander is largely influenced by The Duelists, which is Ridley Scott's first movie about this continuing battle of swords that happens, and Harvey Keitel is one of the main guys in that movie. There you go. So when Dino brought in Sam J. Jones, so before we get off of Sam J. Jones, he brought him in. He didn't talk directly to him. He just tucked around him. <laughs> so it was like, it was literally like a model. Oh, yes. Uh, turn around, please. Oh, yes. Okay. And he was talking to his producer. And he's like, yes, I think this is our flesh. 
And let's face oh. it, Sam J. Jones, big, strong, athletic-looking dude. Yeah. I mean, he had the He was the a model. Look. He was yeah. a model. And, and and it's funny that you say that because, like, Mike Hodges, after the animosity that developed over the shooting of this movie, at some point said to Dino De Laurentiis, why did you, why did you pick me to direct this? Like, you know, <laughs> what... What about my past made you? And he and Dino DeLorean just says, "I like your face." <laughs> <laughs> well, oddly enough, that was not the worst choice or the weirdest choice that Dino DeLorean has made while casting Flash Gordon. Okay, okay. So while he is looking for Doctor Zarkov, yeah, it came down to two guys. Yep, Topol, who uh, is this the little girl I've carried? Yes. Yes. Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. To me, he is also Columbo from For Your Eyes Only. He's a James Bond guy. Right. But he, he also wanted this guy named Warren Oates. You yeah, know from him the be- Wild Bunch. Well, yeah, but you probably know him better as Sergeant Holka from Stripes. Yes. Uh, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> and so they couldn't decide between Warren Oates and Topol. Yeah. So they flipped a coin. Flipped like a legitimately, coin. Cl- like he said, I've made some of my best decisions by doing this. Flip. Topol, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Max von Sydow got the part of Ming the Merciless. Yes, because he was a big fan of the comic books growing up, and he was excited to play this villain. Yeah, yeah. He had played Jesus Christ. Yes. Most people probably know him from The Exorcist, right? Yeah. He was the priest in The Exorcist. Yeah. He actually plays the devil in Needful Things. Oh, yeah. He's one of the few guys who's played Jesus and the devil in his oh, acting career. that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. So he's Ming the Merciless. One of the guys that they had originally looked at was Keith Carradine. So Keith Carradine was the other guy in The Duelist with Harvey Keitel. There you go. Good job. Also considered for the role of Dr. Zarkoff was Dennis Hopper. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. That would have been weird. This is the one that blows me away. Yeah. Okay. Now, before I say this, I believe that they really knocked it out of the park with casting on Flash Gordon. Okay. Okay. Sam J. Jones and Melody Anderson were iffy leads. Yeah. Topol, home run. Well, Melody Anderson got the part, like she didn't get the part initially. It went to some sort of swimsuit model. And then Dino De Laurentiis in his normal style was like, nope, I changed my mind. Let's get this other girl. And she literally, they called her. It said, can you come to London tonight? She says she felt like she was kidnapped. Yes. like She's like, I've got a I TV got a show. Phone call. And now I'm on a plane. And now my hair is getting dyed. And we're starting production. Which we got to talk about that real quick. Sam J. Jones has brown hair. Yeah. They bleached it blonde. Right. Melody Anderson has blonde hair. Yep. They colored it brown. Yes. Continuing on with that thought. Max von Sydow, awesome. Yes. Peter Weingard. Weingard was played Clytus. Yes. He was awesome. Yes. Had to learn how to throw his voice like a ventriloquist <laughs> because the mask was so heavy that that uh, that set designer decided to make. He chews the scenery like crazy. Clytus does awesome. He really does. Timothy Dalton, future James Bond. Oh, yeah. Playing an Errol Flynn-like character. Yes. Prince Baron. He was amazing. Yes. Baron. Okay. But the best. <laughs> Has to be Brian, Brian Blessed. Yes. yes. Brian Blessed as Prince Bolton. Gordon's alive? Gordon's alive? <laughs> Flying blind on a rocket cycle? <laughs> Everything he says is over the top and amazing. Okay, so I got to say something about that, right? So he said that when he was a kid 
this is the character that he would play as a kid when they played Flash Gordon out in the field or whatever. He would always be this guy. And so whenever he found out they were making the movie, he went to them and said, you are going to cast me in this part. He said, I will break your back. I will break your butt. I will cut off your You will put me in this movie. And it worked. They put him in the movie. <laughs> oh, well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> Even like when he's like muted, like yeah. when they're like, Voltan, we're going to kill your daughter if you don't bow to Ming. He's like, hell, Ming. <laughs> like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know who else was freaking amazing in her role? Ornella Muti as Ming's daughter, Princess Aura. Yes. I don't know if I'm even saying her name right. Yeah, yeah. She is... Literally, she's playing the sexiest person in the universe. And she, she was appropriately cast. She is the sexiest person in the universe. I was seven years old and I was like... Hey, 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 hey. Very, very hot. And speaking of kids and their reaction, we, we talked to Caleb, like... Caleb, my 11-year-old. Yes. And he had watched both of these movies with me, and you go, and so you're talking to him, and you said, what was your favorite part? And he goes, uh, I think it was when he was um, communicating telepathically, and then all of a sudden he went, wow, this girl's really turning me on. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart boy. So that's the cast. I mean, we're talking Sam J. Jones, Melody Anderson. Mary Angela Mulatto as General Kala. Yes. She... Everything she says is over the top like Brian Blitz. She's yeah. like, what do you mean Flash Gordon approaching? Open fire! And we had Richard O'Brien, the guy who played Riff Raff in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which he wrote. Yeah. Is, and by the way, teaser for upcoming episodes, we will be covering the Rocky Horror Picture Show this season or next. Yes, we can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. He plays a character called Fico. Yep. And actually, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I believe it's the opening song, they mention Flash Gordon in the lyrics. There was another guy. This is this is kind of an interesting, interesting one. Philip Stone played the high priest. He was also the guy in The Shining that was oh, so yeah. terrifying. Yes. He was the guy that was encouraging Jack to discipline. <laughs> yes. Man. By the way, just as a side note, there's a lot of Bond connections here. I mean, let's do Sean Connery connections because we're about to talk Sean Connery getting cast in Highlander in just a second. Yes. So Timothy Dalton auditioned to play the part of James Bond replacing Sean Connery. He just didn't get it. George Lazenby got it. Timothy Dalton was like 23, 24. Yeah. They decided maybe a little too young. Yeah. So they came back to him in 87, and he was, a, he was a great Bond. Right. Had some less than stellar scripts to deal with, but I thought he was really good. Yeah. Okay, so here you go. Here, here's some Bond connections for you, mm-hmm. Flash Gordon-wise. All right? Max von Sydow plays Blofeld in Never Say Never Again. Timothy Dalton, of course, plays James Bond in The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Yep. Okay, look very closely. You got to look super quick, okay? okay. Yeah. There is a guy loading Flash... And Dale Arden's luggage on the plane at the very beginning of the movie. Holy cow. Okay. What? Do you know what I'm talking about no, here? No, no. There is a guy who's loading their luggage, and literally he's like, Here you go, sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's his like, whole line. Yes. Right? Paging Mr. Herman. All he does is load luggage. That's Robbie Coltrane. He ends up playing Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies. Okay. 
and he plays he plays Valentine in The World Is Not Enough and Goldeneye. Oh wow! He's like a James Bond bad guy, and he's oh. in the freaking Harry Potter yeah, movies. That's right. That's right. And Topol plays Columbo in For Your Eyes Only. Oh yeah. So there you go. So moving on to casting of Highlander. Okay. So we've got Russell McKay directing. They can't get Kurt Russell to be the part. Right. They have some other ideas. Do they? You, can you tell me who they consider? Yes. yes, go ahead. Yes. So the person who nearly got the part was Mel Gibson. Yes, which who, would have been very interesting given this, the Scottish Highlands. If Mel Gibson had done Highlander, would we have got Braveheart? Probably not. No way, right? Right. Mark Singer, remember him? The Beastmaster himself? Oh, right. They yeah. wanted him. They also asked or thought about Michael Douglas, Ed Harris, Sam Shepard, David Keith, Kevin Costner. Oh, wow. Scott Glenn and Sting. Right. Sting, who had just a little while before done the movie The Bride, which had a Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown as Frankenstein. Exactly right. That's right. They also wanted Sting to do music too, right? Yeah. So the Queen wasn't their first choice for Highlander. Right. They wanted either Duran Duran, Russell McKay, right? Duran yep. Duran, yep. Sting, or David Bowie. Right. We'll we'll talk more about that in a minute when we get to the soundtrack. Right? Yes. Right. Okay, so they can't get any of those guys. Right. Russell McKay, he is <clears throat> sitting there flipping through a magazine, and he comes across a picture of Christopher Lambert. I asked my, we, we were talking about this, like, because he was Christopher Lambert. Right. Forever for me, right? right? But then you were like, I think it's Christopher Lambert. And so I asked my neighbor, who's French, I was like, how do you pronounce this name? And he's like, Lambert. I was like, Lambert? Lambert? And he's like, yes, Lambert. And I was like, okay. Yeah, nobody's pronouncing that right. Christopher Lambert. But I'm going to call him Christopher Lambert, okay? <laughs> I'm going to okay. call him Christopher Lambert. So he had been in his first English-speaking movie just recently called Greystoke, which was about Tarzan. He, he played, plays Tarzan. He plays Tarzan, yeah. right? And in the movie, they picked him, this is surprising, because of his myopia. Not because they wanted a guy who couldn't see, but the fact that he couldn't see caused him to have this like thousand yard, very deep, intense stare, like through the top of his eyes. And they just thought it looked cool. Yeah. He had this piercing stare. Yeah. Because he can't see anything. Right. So... Russell McKay, he sees him in this magazine doing this intense stare that is really just a result of his almost blindness and decides, hey, this should be our guy. That's hilarious. You know, you mentioned that. And one of the things that they talked about during the filming, yeah. they would have these long battle scenes in, in Scotland. Yeah. They would crest the hill and they'd be like, cut! Tell Christopher to take his freaking glasses off. <laughs> right. He couldn't see anything. He was totally blind. And they did all of the sword fights. They did all of the sword fights, and he didn't get hurt until part two. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing himself. But he had been trained. I got this little bit for you, right? Yes. He had been trained by this guy named Bob Anderson, who was a Canadian Olympic gold medalist in fencing. He did the sword work for the Princess Bride, which is the best sword fight in cinema history, in my opinion. Right. He did the Mask of Zorro. He did the Lord of the Rings. And here's your here's another James Bond connection. He did Die Another Day. Okay. But you ready for this? Yeah. He's got a small speaking part in Empire Strikes Back, but that isn't the coolest thing. The coolest thing is... He was Darth Vader during all of the lightsaber fights in Empire Strikes Back yes. and Return of the Jedi. That is awesome. This is the guy that trained 
Christopher Lambert how to sword fight. So the small speaking part that he had in Empire Strikes Back, he is the guy at Echo Station. His character's name is Trey Callum, and he says, we've spotted the Imperial Walkers. All right. That's that's Bob Anderson. Sweet. I, I think playing Darth Vader is way sweeter, though. Yes, yes. So they call up Christopher Lambert's agent, who says, yes, he's 6'2", and... Of course, he speaks English, right? Of course he does. Right. And so they go to meet him and she's doing all the interpretation for him at the table. Like they're like, oh, crap we are screwed. This guy doesn't speak. Like when he says, when he says, hello, how are you? Hello, are you? You know, it's very, very heavy French accent, which to me, it never bothered me a bit. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. The fact that his accent wasn't spot on is okay. Cause he lived in a, a bunch of different places. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's been alive for 400 years. He's going to have a weird way of talking. Yeah, but here's my problem, okay? <laughs> Here, I mean, I love Highlander. Don't get me wrong. But the actors who played the policemen, they auditioned American actors who are living in England, uh-huh. and they rejected them because they had acquired too much of an English accent. Okay. And McLeod had lived in the United States for 400 years, and he still can't be understood. Uh That can be only one. He, I understood him perfectly. (laughs) So Ramirez, they land Sean Connery himself as Ramirez, the Egyptian Spaniard. Yes. He is the world's most famous Scott. Just make him a Highlander. Yes. Right. Yep. But that wasn't how the script was (sighs) written, but his spot, his Spanish accent was on perfectly he works so well yeah you're giving me a look because it's wrong right so here's a guy we're talking about sean connery who when's the last time he lived in scotland (laughs) right he doesn't he still has a scottish accent so don't give me this well he's been he's been in america all this time he's gonna have an american accent by now well sean connery didn't what okay fair fair right (laughs) and by the way the only reason he took this is because their shooting schedule was in scotland Where, where are we going scotland i'm in uh, the million dollar paycheck for one week's worth seven of work probably days. didn't hurt. Seven days. Yeah. And so they, he was at the end of that seven days. Like if they went over, they had to pay him extra money. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you're not going to make the cut to Russell. <laughs> and like Russell McKay, he 10 minutes before his time ran out said, it's a wrap for you. This is what he did. He, he So he's like, oh crap, we're right out of time. He's like, all right, Sean. Look to your left. All right. Look pissed. All right. Now look up. Now look down. Now look happy. Now look sad. It's a wrap. And he goes, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a couple other uh, names I got for you. Okay. Okay. These are the names that were considered for Ramirez. Okay. Okay. They got Sean Connery. I mean, it was written for Sean Connery. Yeah. They had, it was written with him in mind. Yes. The Egyptian Spaniard. Let's get the world's most famous Scott. (laughs) Okay. But they looked at Lee Van Cleef, Clint Eastwood, yeah. Clint Eastwood. Are you kidding me? Malcolm McDowell, Gene Hackman, Michael Caine, and Peter O'Toole. Malcolm McDowell, I think, would have been probably my favorite of those. That would Pretty been, good, right? Yeah, that would have been a good one. All right. Here's the other thing. Yeah. Heather McLeod. Yes. Who is the, his love interest in Scotland. In his wife. 1500, yeah, his wife. Yes. Right? Uh, Virginia Madsen auditioned for that role. Okay. She didn't get it. Right. She shows up later in Highlander 2, The Quickening. Right. Right. Yeah, you told me about her. I forgot about that. She's the best part of Highlander 2. <laughs> Is there a best part of that movie? That's it. That's the that's the end of it right there. You haven't watched that movie. I did watch the movie. For this podcast, I watched Highlander 2. 
you're not getting paid enough money. All right, listen. <laughs> Let's just talk honestly about Highlander 2 for a second, okay? Uh, in all honesty, I told you, I saw Highlander 2 first when yeah. it, in the theater. This is why you don't like Highlander 1 as much as you should. Okay, well, maybe so. But I remember sitting in the theater, I'm like, man, this is crap. This this sucks. <laughs> but my wife, who had watched Highlander and loved it because it's this action-packed love story, yep. she was like, hurt like cut to the bone because this movie sucks so bad yeah and then i was like well this is a stupid sci-fi movie is just dumb right well then i watched the original highlander i'm like okay i get it they undercut it I mean, they absolutely they undercut it i have never seen it i will never see it when i heard that it was coming out i was excited yes and then somebody I knew went and saw it and they said, and they came and they told me, and they're like, yeah, it, they're supposed to be aliens. And I was like, I will never see that movie. Yeah. It ruins it everything ruins. good about Highlander. It ruins it. Yes, it does. And apparently, the idea, apparently number three, like just acts like number two didn't exist. Right. Smart move. Yeah. Okay. And then I want to talk about the role of Brenda for a second. Okay. Brenda was played by this actress named Roxanne Hart. Yes. I don't recognize her from anything. I think she's been in Chicago Hope or... She was in The Verdict with uh, Paul Newman, okay. which was a big court drama in the early 80s. Yeah. She's been in some stuff. Yeah. They actually got her because she was uh, a stage actress and so they saw her in uh, a play that she was in. I thought she was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Great. Her character is a little bit goofy to me. That's one of the flaws uh, that the New York Police Department has a sword expert at their beck and call, ready to handle all sword a, forensic she's problems. She's a forensic scientist. She's it's, a sword expert. She's both. <laughs> because Listen, there are I, such things. I'm an attorney. I'm a guitarist. I'm a podcaster. You can't put me in a box, bro. <laughs> <laughs> she's a forensic genius and super sword expert. Yes. Okay, fine. Fine. But but she was a she was a perfect casting because she can play intelligent. Yes, she is pretty without being overwhelmingly so. I thought she was very attractive. Uh, by the way, speaking of super sexy, attractive women. Yes, back to Flash Gordon. Chris, no, Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Lambert's love interest for several years, like twenty. Sophie Marceau, who of course was the princess in Braveheart. Sorry. Yes. And also a Bond girl. Heck yeah. The world is not enough. Speaking of other hot girls, D Dino De Laurentiis' granddaughter. Freaking Giada. Oh my gosh. Majors. Yeah. And she can cook. Uh, that makes her major majors. <laughs> All right. So we've come. Oh, no, no, no. So Roxanne Hart was chosen over Brooke Adams, yep. Rosanna Arquette, Jennifer Beals. Brooke Adams had gotten the part. Brooke Adams got the part and fell through. And Is that right? Okay. Yeah, and, and Roxanne Hart was there to, to jump into the place. And I told you, Brooke Adams is a whole lot of eh for me. Uh, also, they wanted Tanya Roberts. Okay. And she passed to do A View to a Kill. Okay. How about that? Nice. All right. That's casting for Highlander. Okay, so just another quick character. So Lieutenant Frank Moran, the, the kind of chief inspector... Yes. It is played by Alan North, okay. who was Drebin's partner in the Police Squad series that led to... Naked Gun. Yep. 
Wow, that's awesome. You know, one of the things you mentioned was some of the deleted scenes, but there are a bunch of scenes that were filmed for Highlander, including, I think, one major scene with Castigier. Uh, yeah. Like McLeod's friend. Yes. All those were filmed yep. and then lost in a warehouse fire. Yeah, they cut them. They were supposed to be, I believe, as a Japanese uh, immortal, and he was working in some office complex, and there was supposed to be, and there was this big fight that they filmed between him and the Kurgan, but he was using two swords. He was using the two sword samurai technique. Um, looked like it might've been good, but all we have left is photographs. That's too bad. It's too bad. Here's the last bit of information I'm going to give to you. Okay. Right, you ready for this? Yes. This is going to blow your mind. Yes. You ready for this? Yes. According to this particular actor, yes. he was offered the part of Connor McLeod. Okay. But he turned it down to focus on his wrestling career. Hulk Hogan. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, says that he was offered the part of Connor McLeod. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with that. That's not possible. He might have been the Kurgan. He might. Oh, he'd have been in the wrestling scene at the beginning. That's what they offered him. He was going <laughs> to fight the fabulous Freebirds. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. No, I don't know that I'm. Gonna, You're not going for that. I don't think I'm going to buy that. No. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're done with casting. Done casting. All right. Both movies. All right. Now we're on to the movie ready for production yes okay guys that is the end of part one join us next week we will be back for part two until then be sure and hit us up on twitter at shirley podcast hit us up on facebook at shirley podcast you can email us if you want to shirley podcast at gmail.com and if you feel like buying us a cup of coffee for the month you can sign up on our patreon page five bucks a month you become an executive producer of one of our episodes and more exciting things if you go up from there so hit us up there as well see you guys next week <laughs>